right. <clears throat> well, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, if you would turn with me in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, I'd appreciate that. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you. We'd love to have you use that, open it up, and, uh, and, and just get into the Word. And maybe you don't have one at all at home, and uh, you, you're more than welcome to take that pew rack Bible home with you and uh, keep it forever. It's your gift if you need a Bible. We'd love to have you have the Word of God in your hands. So we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Um, we have been going through a series called Why Elders, and it's based on a recommendation from our church council and from our uh, personnel committee to uh, confirm elders in our church, in our congregation. And uh, we've talked a lot about that. It's in the packet. That recommendation is there. The explanation is there. Uh, the men who uh, have been nominated to serve as elders are in that packet as well. Um, I've challenged you as a church to be prayerful about that and to, uh, as necessary, uh, and, and to be responsible to confront any, uh, any sin in those men or any error or any, um, any, anything you might have against them. And uh, I've, I've appreciated hearing a couple of instances of that. Uh, that, is, that is how we take care of that. That's how we take care of each other, to make sure we can repent and be restored in relationship. So we are we're, uh, charting this course and navigating, uh, letting God navigate for us, but uh, we'll be voting on that uh, final thing, the final elder thing on, on uh, Thursday. Um, this is the last sermon in a series of four. Uh, and by the way, tonight there will be a, uh, our final Q&A time. Not tonight, I'm sorry, this afternoon, 3 o'clock. So you're going to get done here, you're going to go home and eat lunch, come back, and we can have a Q&A again uh, to finish up any questions you might have. Now, I asked you weeks ago to submit questions, and I have had no questions submitted since the last Q&A. And, and maybe you have questions. That's great. I'm still going to be here at 3, and if no one shows up, I'll, I'll probably close up early. But if you want to ask questions and kind of talk this through a little bit and, and kind of finalize some of the, your thoughts in your heart, uh, I'll be here at 3 o'clock. We'll actually be meeting in the fellowship hall uh, to go over any questions you might have. They're a great time to come and be a part of that and, uh, and have discussions, okay? So the, I want to just go through the, the progression we've, we've went through uh, these last several weeks. We missed one week last week because we were in the park with uh, the, the greater church. Uh, but we, this is the fourth sermon. The first sermon we, we started on Father's Day, and it was called Elders Serve the Church. So why elders? Well, because elders serve the church. And, and it, we liken that to as God gives a gift of a, of a dad to a family to love and serve and lead that family. God gives the gift of a male eldership to a church to love, lead, and to serve the church. And, and we had to understand that we, we had to kind of cut through some of the, the old stuff we held on to, the, the rigmarole of, uh, oh, it's a board of elders, right? They're so powerful and holier than thou. There, there's a lot of thought about that. There's a lot, of, a lot of fear in some people about that because that might be what they've experienced. Well, that's not biblical. And what we did that first week is to show that biblical eldership is about servant leadership. That you can't be qualified to be an elder and to love, lead, and serve the church unless you're ready to love and serve and lead the church. It's not a power trip. It is a way to be a servant leader. And, and you'll see that in, in the Bible, there's, there's men who aspire to that. They, they have this great stirring in their heart and desire in their heart to, to, to serve the church in that capacity. And, and as they serve, they're going to lead by their example and by their faith. Uh, lead us all to a place to be built up uh, into, the, into Christ more and more. So there's a, there's a great thing happening when we see, see those who say, I, I want to I serve the church. I want to be a servant leader. And that's, that's the model we see, not a model of, of a hierarchy, not a model of, of huge authority that's been, been taken, but, but authority that's been given as we lift up those who would lead us well. So we talked about servant leaders. And then we, the next sermon, we talked about the fact that elders are to keep watch over the church, and they do that best because they're qualified and called. Right? They're qualified and called to keep watch over the church. It's not just that we, we say, well, you, 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 you're in charge. Go for it. 
We look for those who, who, ha- who have this call, this stirring in their heart from God. It's not something that you and I can say, well, I'm going to nominate so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so because I like them, because they get me, because they're, they're a representation of the cross-section of my, my age or my, my social network. That's not how it works biblically. We can certainly see the evidence of, of servant leadership in people and say, we think they should aspire to eldership. We think that we should call them and see if they're called to eldership, but not to say, well, I like you, I like you, I like you. That's not biblical. And that leads to problems within a church. That leads to this hierarchy of, and power. This also leads, I've, I've talked to some, some folks that have served on, on elder committees or elder boards before, and they, and they at, at the end of this time, like, I don't know what I was doing on that committee. I don't know why I served there. I had no giftings at all to teach or to lead. We talked about budget every time, and it wasn't, it wasn't about the church and the spiritual welfare of the people. And I just, I was out of my element. Yeah, you, you shouldn't have been an elder. But someone put their name on a ballot, and they said, I guess, I, I guess I'm willing. But they weren't called, and they weren't, they might, they might, even if they're qualified, they weren't called to do it. So there's a call, but then, then we see in Scripture all these qualifications. So it's not just like you, 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 or, or I can't believe they have that person on the ballot. We go to the Word and say, what does the Word say about how, what makes them qualified? And what we found in that, uh, in that Sunday was, interestingly, interestingly enough, was that the qualifications for elder, all, all but a couple, were basic qualifications that God would say every Christ follower should have. That you should be loving and self-controlled and disciplined and, and, and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This, these are things that we saw that Sunday. Like, this is the qualifications. But here's, here's where, we, where we see the difference. And here's why we, we want to call and, and confirm those who would lead us well as well. It's because of this. You and I have the propensity to not be as steadfast as we should be in our faith, Right? We might be strong and really strong in some areas, but some areas we're still pr- struggling pretty, pretty well. Well, when you, when you find those in, amongst you who, who have a steadfastness about them, they're in a position and, and, a, ready, and a ready place to say, I'm, I'm going to steadfastly help lead you as I follow Christ. And there's a steadfastness about their qualifications, about their, their Christian living, their lifestyle, that we see and recognize, wow, that, that person doesn't waver much. And we talked about that, right? Much. Because... Every person we, we talk, talk about being in leadership, this is not raising up Jesus, right, to be an elder in our church. He is the chief elder already. He's the head of the church. But we are raising up men. And guess what? Men are flawed. Men have, men have tr- troubles and trials, and, and they're not perfect. But when we look at the overall qualifications of an elder, we, we ask, does the majority of their life lead and land in that direction? And when it doesn't, are they repentant and are they sorrowful and do they, they change that way and come back to the place that Jesus wants them to be? So we looked at the qualifications that week. By the way, all of these are available online. You can go listen to these sermons. Some of you can watch online to, to recap or, or if you missed one. The next and third sermon, we said, elders keep the word held high. That's so important for elders to keep the word held high. And it's, it's not just important for elders to keep the word held high. It's important for God's church to keep the word held high. When we talk, and this is, this is hard because we, we've gone through this process of, of, of a couple of years of talking about elders and thinking about elders. I've even taught on elders here and there and the plurality of eldership and the need for that. But elders are to keep the word held high and you and I are to keep the word held high. And this is what it looks like. Even when our preferences are offended, even when our personal desire is, is not fulfilled or met, the question is, was God's word held on to? And was this the thing that we started with? And was this the thing that we ended with? Did it get the first and last say? You know, I, I can see even in times of those Q&As, 
it's great. We have a great Q&A time about elders and about the, the process that, that's gone through, about what that might look like as a structure. Great Q&A. Ultimately, whatever the question you might have, the answer should and has to come from here. Not from, well, this is all how we've always done it. This is, I, that doesn't make me feel good. I don't think that's cool. Okay. This is what matters. Amen. This is our source. And, and listen, if this isn't our source, and if we don't hold this high and make it matter the most, guess what matters? Absolutely nothing. Because if we, if we decide, well, I, it's my preferences that matter, or it's your preferences that matter, guess what? You have different pre- preferences than I do. And, and they have different preferences than we do. Whose preferences are we going to lean on? Who's going to be right? Who's going to get the first say or the final say? It's going to end up in chaos, isn't it? That's why even God establishes government, to keep, keep some regulation on people that there's not anarchy. But the best government, the guest, best government is a monarchy with Jesus as king and his word held high. That we would be subjects in his kingdom, willingly following and obeying his word all the time. So elders must hold the word high. And we'll look at that again today a little bit too. And finally today, uh, we're going to look at uh, how elders build up the church. It kind of, to me, it wraps it up in a bow. It kind of, st- we started with this as servant leaders, how they benefit. But we're going to see the benefits of elders who build up the church. That's their goal. And, and as we do this, I, I, some of you have said, well, this isn't very applicable to me. And I, I just think that you need to, to listen a little more to God's word and dig in deep because I think this can all apply to us. But today, as we look at the word, that, at the fact that elders build up the church, you and I are also called to help build up the church. But elders build us up to build up the church. And that's, that's what we'll see, this encouragement, this great, great coaching staff. It's going to be like, hey, we, we know our, our part is, and this guy knows his part, and we're all going to do our part to make sure you can do your part, and we can be built up and mature and, com- and complete, lacking nothing. That's what we're going to talk about today. So we're in uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Let me go ahead and pray for us over our scripture, and then we'll get to work reading, reading through that and kind of tackling it, all right? Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you so much for your great love for us. And God, as we gather together, um, some of us are in different places in our spiritual journey. Some of us are far from Christ. Some of us are, are almost to Christ. Some of us are close to Christ. But God, some of us have uh, become apathetic. Some of us are passionate. And God, we, we pray and know that you will meet all of us here today. So God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your word and to your spirit as it leads us. God, that you would convict us and challenge us and change us. And God, you would conform us into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And God, as we look to your word, may it be our first and final authority over our heart. God, over our preferences, over our personal agenda, over the way it's always been done. God, may you challenge us every day in every way with the word of God as we hold it high. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 11 through 16 together. And this has been kind of one of the theme verses throughout the whole series we keep going back to. In verse 11, it says this. It says, And he himself, that is Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Verse 12, Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around with, by every wind of teaching, by human cunning or, or with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into Him who is the head, Christ. 
From him, the whole body, fitted together and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. This is a beautiful text. A beautiful text. It's complex, but it's also rich and beautiful about, about who Jesus is and who we are and, and who we ought to be in him. So we're going to take a look at that and take a look at why, why God gave us this gift. It says right there, God, he himself gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and some to be what? Pastors and teachers who will build up the church, to build up the body. So we're going to look at that today and unpack that passage. Number one is this. If we look at elders building up the church, number one, uh, that we would reach, they build up the church, that we would reach unity in the faith. They build up the church so we could reach unity in the faith. It's so great to have steadfast folks who are, who are pouring into and investing into us so we would reach unity in the faith. Uh, go back to Ephesians 4 and look at verses 11 through 13. And he himself gave some to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So when we say we're going to have elders, we don't say, oh, we're going to have people who are going to do all the work. We have elders, we have coaches who are going to equip the church, the saints, for the work of the ministry, that you and I could see what our God-given gifts and abilities are, the things that you were created to do, that built to do. Those are the things that, that elders and leaders should say, do those things. Because when you do those things, you build up the body of Christ. You benefit the body of Christ. And by the contrary of that, the contrast is true as, as well, right? When you don't do those things, what happens? You don't build up the body of Christ. So we want to be using all of our gifts and talents. So is this applicable for all of us? Absolutely it's applicable for all of us. We should be raising our hands and saying, I want to do that. I want to be built up. I want to figure out what my gifts are. How has God wired me? Maybe, I, maybe you already know. Let's get you involved. Let's get you building up the body of Christ. There are so many needs in the body, throughout the body, that, are, that aren't even about Sunday morning needs. Like, it's not about the worship team or the sound guy all the time or the, or the muffin cutters. It's, more, it's, more, it's bigger than that. It's someone needs to have some wood delivered to their house. Someone needs to be visited because they, they, they need some conversation. They're lonely, right? These things that we can fulfill because God has wired us up differently and has given us different gifts. But it says we equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and it says to build up the body of Christ. So the goal is to build up the body of Christ. Now, I need to stop here and pause right here because you and I have to get on this agenda. This is Jesus' agenda for his church, to build up the body of Christ. And, and we can get a little bit lazy about this, can't we? To, to being built up, to growing in our faith, to letting maybe some of the head knowledge connect with our heart. And, and letting our heart overflow and be transformed by Jesus. See, we could come into church and we can sit in a pew and occupy space all we want. But what God is wanting to do is to build you up so you can build others up. And what that means is that when you and I, if that's the goal, it means that you and I, when we walk through these doors or when we walk into any small group out in the community or any church group or any Sunday school class, any opportunity we have to be around God's people, when we walk into that place, we should be desiring from the depth and the core of who we are to be built up as God's church, which means it's going to be a little iron sharpening iron, which means it's probably going to be a little uncomfortable. You know, we had the marriage conference yesterday, and it, some, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not lying, it was pretty profound. Like, I, I've gone through several different conferences and different retreats and different materials. Um, it, it, was, it was very refreshingly the gospel. And one of the things that he said, which was, uh, uh, my mind is blown for two reasons, because it's so profound, but it was so simple. Why didn't I hear this before? My mind was blown because of this. 
He said that marriage is one of the, the tool, tools uh, that God uses to refine us, to make us holy. You know, I, I mentioned on my weekly video, one of the quotes he said, uh, marriage is not about happiness and me being happy. It's about God making me holy. And, and that's cool. Okay, that's great. But what does that mean? It means that God has given us a tool in marriage and given us grace with a spouse who will call us out. That's scary. That's my wife's job to call me on my sin. And, and, and I need to look at her as God's gift of grace to me because of that. Why? Because I want to be built up as the body of Christ into Christ into maturity. I don't want just to be comfortable and happy. I want to live holy and pleasing to God. So those relationships, spouse relationships, are so important. But you know, someone we were talking during our, our discussion times, and, and someone said, well, uh, how does this apply? I'm, I'm not married, or I don't know if I'm going to get married again. You know, how does this apply to, to the unmarried? If, if, he, if what the guy said was true, that marriage is this huge tool that God uses between the, the, our conversion into Christ and, and then our death to sanctify us, wh- what do I do? Well, I said, well, it's not the only tool God uses, right? The church The body of Christ is the other tool, means of grace that God uses to make you and I more holy. So when we come, we ought to expect that our rough edges are going to get filed down. And it's not going to feel feel good. But we're going to be built up and become more complete and mature and lacking less and less every time. Uh, Parents, the same thing for our children. We'll talk about that in a few minutes too. I I love this notion because now I, I see... And I know we need to nurture our kids, but think about this. We are God's kids, right? And I have kids, and some of you have kids or have had kids. If we just had our kids and we said, you know, go ahead and figure it out. We're going to sit over here and just kind of watch what happens. We'll watch what you do. Watch you fail and flail and all of that. If we just did that and didn't decide, like, you know, I want to teach. I want to learn. I want to nurture. What benefit would that be to our children? As parents, you are God's gift of grace to your children, to help them be built up and to grow and to mature in the Lord. That's, that's, you are a gift to them. That discipline is a gift. That direction, that guidance is a gift. The same is true as the church. So when we talk about the, the elders, the leadership of the church, their goal is to build up the church. Church, you and I, as the church, need to say, I, I want to be built up. I'm ready and willing to be built up. I'm going to come here expecting to be convicted of my sin in some way so I can be built up and encouraged to repent of that sin and to move towards Jesus closer. Amen? That's what we're supposed to do. If you're coming here for comfort, it's, it, it's not about that. It's about being transformed by Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit through what He's accomplished on the cross for us. That's what we're looking for. We look to Him for that. So it says to build up the body of Christ. So we have to have that expectation. We're coming in to be built up by the body of Christ. And it goes on in verse 13. Until, okay, here, good. Well, how long do we do this? How long do we be built up? It says, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son. Until we all reach unity. And it goes on and on. We're going to talk about the next passage in a minute, but it, until we reach that unity. See, there's, there's a, a necessity that you and I come and gather together. We're saying, I, we are yielding to Jesus Christ, our Messiah, who gave his life, who lived the life we couldn't live, who died the death we should have died, and who rose again to conquer Satan, sin, and death once and for all that you and I can have life. So we come here to worship him. We come here to learn from him. We come here to grow up in him and be united 
in Christ alone. That's what our goal should be as a church, to come and to do that, and that we should find unity in that. That, we, that if nothing else meshes up right now, we, we mesh up on Jesus, who Jesus is. And we come here to worship Him and be changed and transformed by Him. Turn with me to Colossians. You keep your ribbon in the Ephesians 4. And go to Colossians. Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. We're going to look at chapter 2. And we'll go back to this passage as well, so it kind of keeps your fingers there. It's only a couple pages, right? Colossians chapter 2. I want to, I want to show you Pastor Paul, right? The Apostle Paul, who's a pastor to so many pastors and, a, and, and pastors of churches and people. He's a shepherd. He's an elder. And I want to show you this struggle of what he's working hard to do. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, For I, I, I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you. It's a great struggle. And see, you don't aspire to eldership and say, I want to lead because I, I want to lord it over people. Some people do, but it, you, are, you are called to greatly struggle for your people. And what is he struggling for? He says, I want to, I'm greatly struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, for those who have not, uh, not seen me in, in person. Um, I want their hearts. Here's what he wants. I want uh, your hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love. That sounds great, right? Encouraged and joined together. That's that unity we're sharing. Go on. It says, so that, so that, here's why, that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. That's what Paul's urging. He wants that. He wants us to know the supreme treasure that we have in Christ Jesus and that mystery of his, his redemptive quality and, and redemptive character from the cross and the blood that's been been poured out for us and shed for us that we could be free he's why he struggles i want you to i'm struggling for you greatly struggling for you to, to encourage you in your mind and, and to join you together in love that you would have a complete understanding of the knowledge of god's mystery that is christ in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge see he's our source isn't he that's that's where we start that's our first and last word is jesus and we as a church should come wanting to be built up and knowing him. Paul encouraged the believers um, in Ephesus, and when he talked to Pastor Paul, he was talking about uh, the, uh, this, this section. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and he, and he said, here's basically the reason I'm writing this letter to you, so you would know how to conduct yourselves in the household of God. And he gave us three descriptions there, and we've talked about these, right? He said that, one, you're a household of God. Listen, church, you're the household of God. That means that we are God's kids in his home. Whether we're in this building or outside of it, we are a household of God. And guess who the daddy is? God. He's the father. And we submit and surrender ourselves to his authority and his leadership and how he wants the house to run. Amen? That's, how, that's the household of God. But it goes on beyond that because some people think, well, yeah, he's giving us some thoughts here. I guess we'll try to figure it out as we go. No, it's more than that. He continues to promise. Not only are you the household of God, you're the church of the living God. You know what that means? That as the church, you and I, as we gather together and we worship Him, as we want to learn from Him, guess who's here with us? The living God is here with us. He's here convicting us of sin, convincing us of His truth, drawing us to Himself as the supreme treasure. That's what He's doing. We are the household of the living God. And I, I argued this the other, the other day. Nowhere else on the planet does that happen except in the gathering of the church because Christ indwells his children. We are the house, ho household of God and the church 
of the living God. That's what we're to be. We come through those doors, there should be expectations of that. We leave, those, leave through those doors, there should be expectations of that. And he says, finally, that there's third characteristic of the church is in unity, right? We're in unity in the faith in Christ, is that we would be a pillar and foundation of truth. We're the pillar and foundation of truth. And we said during that sermon, I said, that means we, we hold the word high and we hold the word tight. That this is what we, we raise up. We are sit, sitting on the foundation that is Christ, and this is what we lift up always. And that's to build unity and reach unity in the faith. So we're all on the same page. Number two, elders build up the church. We will grow into maturity. When elders build up the church, we will grow up into maturity. Go back to the Ephesians passage with me. Chapter 4, verses 13 and following. So the goal is to build up the body of Christ. It says, until we reach a unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son. And then it says, growing. So it's not, the until was not finished. Until we all reach unity, that's not when we stop building up the church. It continues to go. Growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Interesting here. You're talking about parents and parenting. I, I have my own ways of parenting, and my wife has her ways of parenting, and that's why we compliment each other well, right? And you all have your ways of parenting, and your parents have their ways of parenting. And if we came into a room and decided how we should parent, we wouldn't be able to decide, right? There'd be maybe some small things. This is, this is kind of the box. But we all have different ideas. And, and I want us to understand that as we grow up in Christ, there aren't a lot of ideas. I mean, there are a lot of ideas, but there aren't a lot of ways. There's one way to grow up in Christ. There's one test by which we, we can be measured. And look, look what it says in the Scripture there. It says that we are growing into maturity with a stature measured by what? By Christ's fullness. You want to know if you've grown up into maturity? Do you look like Jesus? You see, Scripture tells us in Romans, Paul says that, that we as Christians, we as Christ followers, have been predestined to be conformed into the image of the Son. That is what the Spirit of God is doing inside the heart of a believer. God is drawing and churning and, and doing some work in there and taking some things out and re renovating. You know it, right? You can feel that or you felt that before. God is wanting to do something different here and change some things. As he does that, he's growing us into and conforming us into the image of the Son. So that we, when we're measured for maturity, we're measured against Christ's fullness. It's this process of sanctification throughout our whole Christian life that happens. And we, we can neglect it, and we can say, eh, nope, I'm going I'm to say yes to my indulgences and desires and my pleasures and my preferences, uh, instead of saying no to those. And, and when you say yes to those, you're saying no to God doing something in you. And God, trust me, God doesn't just leave. He's, he's working hard to do something, and you can ignore him if you want. But for you and I, going on a different idea, a different way, a different, a different uh, form of, of discipline to get to maturity, it, it, is, it is absolutely worthless unless it's measured by the fullness of Christ. Jesus wants us to be conformed into the image of Him, right? That's, that's what we're doing. We're going to be conformed into the image of the Son. So we're growing into maturity in Him. So that should be our measurement. Going on, verse 14. Then, I love this, then, oh good, there's, there's a result. We like to see results, right? So we're, we're growing up, we're measuring ourselves against Jesus, we want to grow more towards Him. It says, then we'll, we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. Interesting, isn't it? 
I, I, I tell you, as, as I have toddlers, or not, not so much toddlers anymore, a six-year-old and almost four-year-old, I, I, see, I see the necessity to guard and to watch and to pay attention to everything they see, everything they hear, everything that's, that they're being influenced by so that they are, are not just believing a lie. Because what, what's the description of children here? Little children are those who are tossed by the sea, by the winds and the waves and any kind of human cunning, right? What are your children being taught in school by their teachers? Are you having those conversations? Are you asking? Are you correcting? Are you maybe deciding something different because it's wrong? What are, you, what are your kids being taught by, by you and your example? What are kids being taught by what you allow them to watch or to listen to? We tend to say, oh, when our kids need to be babysat by the iPad. What are they learning? What are they hearing? You see, when we grow up, we grow through that. But before we can grow up, we need to understand that we will be tossed around by any little thing that, that perks our interest. And that's not maturity. Now, children are children. There's a, there's a place for children. And, and I know that in this room, there's, there's multiple levels of faith journeys. Some of you have never come to faith in Christ. You're here wondering what's going on. You think you, think you might be a Christian. You're probably not. You may, I don't know. God knows. Some of you have a faith in Christ, but it's very new, and it's, it's, it's one of those that's vibrant and exciting, and you're, what do I do next? Well, you're a baby. You're on milk. Get, get the basics. Get them down. It makes, make sure they're planted in your heart that you have unity in who, who Christ is. And then some, are, some have moved on from that, that place of a child, a baby. And they're, they're a toddler, right? And they need to be moving on towards, towards solid foods. But some, some of us that are, that are toddlers or even teenagers, we still drink out of the bottle. Because we don't want to grow up. There's a point where we need to start learning and growing and, and getting ourselves solid in God's Word and moving on to some meat and some potatoes. Chewing on some difficult things and trusting God that God is faithful to instruct and His Spirit is, is faithful to instruct. But it's, it's about growth and growing up, not being little children. So when we decide that there are people who are going to build up the church and that we can grow up into maturity, that is an amazing, amazing blessing for a church. Amen? That's why it's a gift. That's why God's given us a gift, that we would be able to grow up into maturity because of these leaders, these gifted people that God has set amongst our midst. So how do we do that? Well, all this, this deceit's out there, the wind's blowing, it says verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, that's what we aim to do, right? That's my goal. My, my hope is that I can be here and give you the Word of God and pre preach you the Word of God and teach it to you in love. The truth in love that you would know Jesus more and more. That you'd want to cherish Jesus more and more. And as we speak the truth in love, let us grow in every way into, this is important, into Him who is the head, Christ. See, again, our, our growth is not, I don't want you growing to be my disciple. I'm not having some Kool-Aid you need to drink here. You're growing, I want you to grow up into the head that is Jesus Christ, into Him. Because He's the one that transformed, He's the one that redeems, He's the one that gave Himself for us. He lived a life that we could never live and died the death that we should have died. We owe it all to Him. He says, speaking the truth in love, let us grow up into every way that's into Him. And then from Him, it says, because here's why we get pointed to Him. From Him, the whole body, fitted together and knit together by every supporting ligament, it promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. You and I all have a part to play, a role to play, but we have to get mature. We have to decide, I want to grow up. I want to I serve in that capacity. I want to I love in that way that God has gifted me to love. 
God's gift of grace to children, parents. God's gift of grace to spouses is their spouse. God's gift of grace to the church is the church. That we would be able to be growing and maturing in our faith in Jesus Christ. And elders build up the church. Number three, elders build up the church. Then we would be able to identify and refute false teaching. When elders build up the church, we're able to identify and refute false teaching. So I'm going to read this passage from Titus. You don't have to turn there. Uh, we've talked about this several times. Uh, it's kind of like what, what we've used kind of as a theme verse, a theme reason to, to promote eldership in our church, the plurality of eldership. Now, understand this. I want to I just mention this and tying in with the last point. We have talked about in, at length the plurality of eldership. That means they're not just, we're not just getting an elder, not just one person, but many. And, and here's why. Because the church, as we, as we grow towards Jesus, we're all imperfect. Amen? And we all have deficiencies. And the ways that I'm deficient, I hope someone else is efficient or sufficient. And the ways they're deficient, I can be sufficient. And we can balance each other out. It's like that in marriage, right? What do they say for marriage? Opposites what? Attract. Opposites attract. It was great yesterday at the marriage conference, he talked about appreciating each other's differences and how important that is. And, and here's what he said. He, he convicted me through this. He's like, stop trying to create your spouse in your image. Whoa, right? My spouse was created in his image differently than I am with her own gifts and talents and abilities and her own her passions and desires, and they aren't necessarily mine, and that's okay. Why is that okay? Because where I'm lacking, she is strong. Where I'm bad, she's good. Where she's good, I'm bad. I'm mostly bad, and she's mostly good, <laughs> right? That, that's, there's a complimentary thing happening there, right? That's true of the body as well. And, and here's what that means for us. When elders decide to lead in that way in the plurality of eldership, they have each other's back and they have the church's back. And that when you come to be a part of the body, you have someone that has your back. And that's not fun. I we talked about that, you know, at this marriage conference, we talked about it earlier in a point here. It's not fun always to have our rough edges sanded off. But man, it is glorious when we can get those rough edges sanded off and they're no longer catching us up on stuff. When we can kind of slip off of that and Satan just doesn't have a handle anymore. And we start to grow into maturity and we, we start to feel more mature and more fulfilled and more hopeful and more joy-filled because of Jesus. And that's what God's body does. So and even now, it's, you know, we send out miss you cards to people, right? We send out, we miss you. You haven't, been, you haven't been here for a while. You should feel really guilty. right? No, it's not meant to be a guilt trip. Here, here's what I want you to understand behind the heart of that. We miss you. Because when you're not here, I don't have you to watch my back. And when you're not here, you don't have me to watch your back. And, and we get in that rut sometimes. We're like, well, we'll just kind of step off and step away or do our own little thing. We'll stick, stick to, sit close to my family or do our family. We've got to be careful there. God has given us each other to have each other's back so we can grow and mature into the fullness measured in Christ. Amen? That's what he's given us. So we can have each other's back. And that's the same thing with the plurality of eldership. That, that where I'm deficient, where I may even be sinful or tempted to sin, others are watching my back. Saying, wait, Brandon, wait a minute. Don't walk through that door. You don't want to go that way. Let's come, come over. That's what we need. We all need that. The church benefits from the plurality of elderships who will build up the church and watch each other's back, and the church will start to watch each other's back as well. Why? Because we've, we've got to that place where we reach unity in the faith. We grow in, we're growing into maturity. We know what we believe. We're holding up the word high, and then we can then refute and identify false teaching. So he says, I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. He, t he tells Titus this. Paul's telling Titus this. 
And, and I, I mentioned that it's kind of like the shoes untied. My kids can walk around with their shoe untied for quite a while, right? But eventually, eventually they're going to fall down. Eventually they're going to stumble. Eventually they're going to get caught on something. Eventually it's going to get tangled up in the chain on the bike and the shoe's going to fly off. Eventually something's going to happen. Paul, writing the, 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 the first churches, saying, listen, by the way, your shoe's untied. Let's, let's tie that up so we get this in order. Now, what does he say? He says, appoint, as I directed you, appoint elders, elders in every town. Plurality of elders. Plurality of shepherds who are, who are loving and serving and leading the church. And then it goes on and says what these men are like. They're holding, they're, they're men who hold to the faithful message as taught. So that, again, why, why are we holding to the faithful message? So that they will be able to encourage us, right, the church, with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. You feel strong enough where you can refute unsound teaching? I hope you can get there. But that's the elder's job is to build, build us up so we can, we can identify that's sound teaching and that's not sound teaching. You know, I, I love this illustration. It's, it's a counterfeiter's illustration, right? My, my daughter came up. She actually uses a, a fake piece of money for, for a bookmark in our story time. It's just a fake dollar bill. Well, they found one. I think it might have been Wes. He found, found one and then brought it to Daddy. Daddy, Daddy, here's money. Here's money. And I, I grabbed it, and I, I, it was dark. I didn't really know what he found. It was dark enough where I didn't have to, like, I had to look twice. It looks pretty real. But immediately when I got it in my hands, what did I know? That ain't money. Why? Because I know what money feels like right? I know what money feels like. And that's, that's how, how counterfeiters uh, get caught. People are trained not to identify fakes, but to know the real thing so well that when a fake comes up, it's obvious. And that's true of doctrine as well. That we would know so well what God's Word teaches and hold it so high and so tight that when false teaching comes up, we would be able to, to contradict it. Now go back to the book of Colossians. It's a couple pages away, right? We told you to keep your ribbon there or your finger there. We're continuing on this little, this little thread of what uh, Paul was talking about. He says there, uh, he, he said earlier, I want, I, I want you to know I'm greatly struggling for you and what that struggle looks like. I'm greatly struggling for you. And he says, I want you to be encouraged and be united in the faith with complete understanding in the mystery that is Christ and that, that in him is, he is our greatest treasure. And he goes on in verse 4, he says, I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. You know, it's not so much the, 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 oh, the crazy fakes, right? I, if it was a little lighter that day, I would have known instantly, oh, that's your play money from your little money set, right? But it's the ones that sound real. It seems like this might be real. This sounds interesting. So he says, I want you to be united and know what you believe so that, that no one will be able to deceive you with arguments that might sound reasonable. For I might be absent in body, but I'm present with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So he's commending. He says, hey, you're doing great. But even those who are doing great, he says, what? Watch out. Keep out. Keep watching. Keep watching. He says, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. See, we put so much emphasis oftentimes on the front end of our salvation in Christ. Oh, man, you prayed the prayer. You walked the walk. You came down the aisle. You, you're a Christian now. How great, how great is that? Now we just leave you hanging. Right? And not even sure if that was a real confession of faith in your heart right? This is a process. This is a journey that we must take to believe in Christ, to trust Him as Savior. That, that's what we have to go through, this journey. So he's saying, yeah, you, you've, you've come to faith in Christ, great, but continue to live in Him, being rooted and built up, see those words again, in Him and established in the faith. Those are big words. 
Not just, oh, I said a prayer, see you later. It's like, I, I want Christ. I, I want Him to be my treasure. He's my treasure. All in Him, all things, are tre- the, the hidden things are treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I need that. Not my own preferences. He goes on, he says, uh, continue in them just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. So, so why, do we, why do we have this? Why do we need this unity and need to, to know these things? Well, there's a couple things. That one, we might overflow with gratitude. And we'll see that in the next point. We're going to overflow with gratitude. We know what we know. And we, can, we can identify falsehood. And, and what we know and have treasured in our heart has changed our life. It's made everything new and everything different. And we're blessed because of that. Why else? Well, number, verse 8, it says this. So you can be careful that no one takes you captive through, through uh, philosophy or empty deceit based on human tradition or based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. Why do we need to know? So that no one can take us captive. No one can hold us hostage with, with, the, with a falsehood. But we are grounded in the word of God and, and, and that's what our leadership is to do. Build us up so we can be there and we build each other up. And, it's, and it says we, we want to be grounded in Christ. Why? For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. It starts and stops with Jesus. It starts and stops with his word. We have to be built up and encouraged to go there. It's so important. Finally, number four. Elders build up the church, and it will profit us if we make make it a joy for elders to lead. So listen, as elders build up the church, it's a profit to us. It's profitable for us. Why? Well, let's look at this. Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews with me. Chapter 13. We're done everywhere else. You can... Close the page on Ephesians and Colossians and go to Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> Hebrews is, a, is an interesting book, and I, I encourage you to study it on your own, to read the commentaries, to, to get a handle on it. But, but it's basically saying, listen, there was this old covenant, this old blood that covered sins, and, and that's the old way, and, and now there's a new way that's in Christ alone. And it, it, the writer, the author of Hebrews continues to say, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. You're almost there. Keep going. Believe in Jesus. Persevere, endure until you get to that place of faith in Christ. Don't stop with tradition. Don't stop with regulations. Don't stop with looking the part or thinking you're there because you're not. Get there, though. So Hebrews chapter 13, 17, we're, we're going to kind of read this and then go back to Hebrews 10 and read a little more there. Here's what it says in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So you obey them and submit to them so they can do this with joy and without grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Here's what he's saying. You work backwards a little bit. It would be unprofitable for you and I if you, if you wanted our elders to lead without joy and, and, and we became a pain to them, a nuisance, a grumbling. Paul says, that, or the, the writer of Hebrews says, that's, that's not how you want to treat your leaders. But, but I think there's a why that we can grab onto. And it comes from the fact that we have, when we have good leadership, it is a joy for us, that it profits us. How is that true? Well, let's talk about this conflict. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, and, and we'll start in verse 31. Go to Hebrews 10 real quick, a couple pages back. There's this conflict going on in the hearts of people, and it's go, been going on since the beginning of time, and it will go on until Jesus comes back. And, and as he's writing to these, these Hebrews, right, Hebrews, the Jewish believers, He's writing these, these people saying, listen, you, you think you have Christ, you think you know Christ, but you don't have Christ all the way. You don't really know him as you think you should. And multiple times throughout, at least four or five times up to this point in chapter 10, 
He's, he said, you need, you, you're almost there, but you need to believe. You're almost there, but you need to believe. And, and here's what it says. If we're in Hebrews 10, chapter, or chapter 10, verses 31 and following. Why is it so important? Why is it a profit for us? Here's a question. Why is it a profit for us for elders to keep watch over our souls? Look at verse 31. Because it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Do you understand that? And, and listen, it's, it's a wondrous thing to rest in the arms of a living God. But it is a terrifying thing to come up and just fall in his arms and, and, and stumble there and say, I, I, I didn't know, I never knew. I thought I had rest, I never had rest, and now I'm going to be judged for my sin because I never let the cross plead the case for me. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now listen, I want you to understand, I, that is a burden on my heart for you. It's a burden for me as well, by the way. But it's a burden on my heart for you and, and for people because I want them so much, so badly to know Jesus Christ alone. And not to rest in their own abilities. Not to rest in their own, their own merit. Not to rest in their own, their own resume. But to rest in Christ alone. And, and, and the, the audience here of Hebrews didn't quite get this. Let's read on. There was, a, there was a disconnect between mind and heart. It says, remember, verse 32, remember the early days when after you had been enlightened, there was this mind knowledge, head knowledge, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. So you even look like you're part of the church. You're, you're there with the group. You're going through some hard, hard times. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. And at other times, uh, you, were, you were companions of those who were treated that way. Verse 34, for you sympathized with prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your own possessions because you knew, knew in your mind, right, that you yourselves had a better and enduring possession. Like there's this head knowledge of, man, there, Jesus is a treasure. He's going to be my everything, but I'm still not quite there yet. And I want to show you this contrast where it shows up. It says, don't throw away your confidence, your knowledge, right? Your knowledge of this reward, it's there. He says, for you need endurance. You're lacking something. You're lacking endurance. This enduring faith is what it's going to end up being. It says, for you need endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive what has been promised. You really want it. There's something missing. It goes on. It says, For yet uh, in a little while, the coming one, Jesus, will come and not delay. But, look at this but transformation, this, this connection here. It says, But my righteous one, or the righteous one, will live by faith. There's a, there's a di see, here's, here's where it is. All, all, everything above he's describing are they're good things. Smells like a duck, walks like a duck, sounds like a duck, but guess what? It's not a duck. He says, the above are all the self-righteous things. You're trusting in yourself. And then he gets to this point. He says, listen, the righteous one will live by faith. That's not about self-righteousness anymore. It's about the righteousness that comes from Christ alone. And he says, and if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. You see, he, Jesus is saying, I, I, can't, I can't have pleasure in someone that, that would be able to draw back from faith. That's not, that's not how this works. When you have faith, you have faith, and that's how you're credited as righteous before God. And look at verse 39. It says, but we are not those who draw back. He clarifies that. He says, well, maybe someone can have faith and become righteous and draw back. No, that's not the case at all. We are not those who draw back and are destroyed. But we are those who have faith and are saved. We are those who have faith and are saved. My weeks... My months consist of pleading with your heart 
to believe in Jesus. To be pointed to Jesus at every turn. Every, every conversation. Listen, this is, this is a Sunday school answer from the dawn of time. What's the answer? Jesus. It's always the answer. What, what, who can fix a marriage? Jesus. Who can fix your relationship with your, your son or your daughter? Jesus. Who can forgive you of all your sin? Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And, and so a desire on my heart as a pastor, as an elder in a church, is that you would know Jesus. That you would run to Jesus. That you would embrace Jesus. That he would be your treasure. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't let any, any dress up looking, I look like a Christian, any, even any even persecution for what you are associated with, say you're covered. But that you would actually let Jesus cover you. That you would believe in faith and be saved from your sin. Because Jesus did all the work for you. He goes on in Hebrews chapter 11. It, it, it goes forward, right? Because we're saved by faith. And then he has this huge, huge description in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. He's, he, he goes through everyone. that is, they, they acted in faith. And their faith, when they had faith, it was credited to them as righteousness. Not works, not persecution, not any, it, their faith. Their trust in God alone. And the author of Hebrews is arguing so fervently that, that you and I should understand the heavy burden put on an elder or a leader amongst you is a fight for your soul. And it's a fight and to draw you to Jesus every single day, in every single circumstance, to draw you to Jesus. And when you and I have someone fighting for our soul, we ought to have joy because of that. We ought to be thankful because of that. And we ought to make it a joy for them to continue to do that. Amen? That, that's what, there's, a, there's a battle going on. And, and I want us to understand something that's very, very important here. here here's, the, here's the dilemma. And, and this is how we're going to resolve it today. We, we, and we talked about this when we were talking about Ruth, I think, and Judges and stuff. We talked about God's people coming into the land and, and God wanting to bring them into the land, but they were disobedient. He's like, I, he, here's what he said. I, I promise, I'm your God. I'm going to bring you into the land. I'm giving you the land. I'm your God, I love you, I'm giving it to you. That's his promise. And then on the other hand, he, sa he says, if you're my people, I want you to be obedient to me. Reflect me, be my people, be set apart. And then what happens is, they get up to the land, and God's like, yeah, I promised you the land, but I can't give you the land because you're not being obedient. So it's not going to be fully yours. You're going to be in there, but it's not fully yours. When you decide to finally yield your heart, you'll have it. So there's these two things going on. On one end, they're, they're both extremes, by the way. On one end is this side that says, hey, God loves us so much. He's our God. No matter what happens, we're covered. We are good. We are, we, it's, it's all good. I can do whatever I want because in the end, love wins. That's one side of it. And you know what that leads me to? To do whatever I want. Because I'm good. The other extreme is just as bad. It leads to the same place. It's the extreme that says, God wants me to be obedient. God set up some rules and some, some parameters for me. And man, I'm going to try my hardest to please God. I'm going to try to fulfill everything he wanted me to do so I'm in good favor with God. And, and, and that's great. And a lot of people, even maybe a lot of you, work on that every single day and every single week. And, and year after year, you've tried to fill the role and do the part, play the part. You've checked off thousands of boxes to make, make your righteousness just shine. But there has been a point, or it will be a point soon, where you have to just throw up your hands and say, I give up. I cannot do this anymore. You know why? 
Because you and I will never be and can never be good enough. If we could, if, we, if it was a matter of following the rules and checking the boxes, then Jesus didn't have to come die. But guess what? He did. Why? Because we can't fulfill the rules. And see, if I, if I live in that zone of, I'm going to do the best I can, I'm going to be the best person I can, I'm going to uh, fill all the boxes and make sure I, I look good, we're going to get to the point where I say, I, I just can't do it anymore. And you're going to give up and say, I'm just going to do whatever I want. It's, it's worthless. And you're right, it is. It's absolutely worthless to try. How's that reconciled then? It's reconciled with a Jesus, with the Jesus, who came and lived the life that you could never live. And he died the death that you should have died. He reconciled that God is a loving God of promise and covenant, and that God is a God who still is a God who says, I want, I want some standards met. And guess what? Jesus fulfilled it all. So that now... You and I don't have to wonder if he loves us or wonder if we measure up. We can know that he does and know that we never will. But because of Jesus, we can have life from him. Amen? Life comes from him. So the encouragement is not to continue in your way of just do whatever you want and let love win. And the encouragement is not to, and the, and the struggle, the fight, is not to let you go and try to fill all the boxes and make you look right and, and conform. The struggle is to get you to your knees before the cross and that you would believe Jesus and you trust Him as your treasure. And then as you do that, here's the greatest part. Here's how this reconciles. Here's why it's the greatest struggle and burden on my heart for your soul and, and for my soul that we would treasure Jesus. Because once we do, once we seek ye first the kingdom of God, all these other things are added unto us as well. Once we, once we find hope there, we overflow with gratitude. We overflow with, with the Spirit of God wanting to direct us into obedience, wanting to direct us to be more compassionate, to be more filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what the Spirit of God does. You can't accomplish that on a checklist, and you'll never accomplish that if you just rest in, oh, I'll do whatever I want. Only by grace and the grace of Jesus through the cross. And that is the, a huge fight. And that's what the, the leaders in the church are to do. They're to build up the church by pointing you and I to Jesus every single time. So no, when you come into my office next, when you talk to me on the cell phone and we meet for lunch and you have an issue, you know what the answer is, right? More Jesus. You need more Jesus. We'll, we'll talk more than that. But it's, it's Jesus. We need Jesus. And when you have leaders who are fighting for your soul, pointing you to Jesus... Man, there's a joy and a gratitude that should overflow in your heart. And there's a desire that should fill all of us to see to it that they can do that with joy for the building up of the body of Christ. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray together. Lord, we... We come to you knowing that our hearts are often desiring our own will. They often desire our own preferences or, God, just comfort in knowing how it's always been done. But God, I, I pray that we would yield right now to your word and to your spirit. That, God, we would, we would desire what you desire above everything else. That we would treasure you above every other treasure that we could possibly have. And God, we would live like Jesus is all that matters. God, we thank you 
We thank you for the cross. We thank you for even the way you've given us gifts with different folks in our church who have different abilities and, and ways that they can help build up the body of Christ. And God, we thank you as we enter this season of, of looking towards elders, God, that we would, we would tie our shoes and be ready, Lord, for the, the journey of being built, being matured, identifying and knowing what false doctrine might be out there, God, and, and, and with joy, loving the fact that we're pointed to Jesus and that someone has our back. God, give us wisdom. Give us humble hearts, gentle spirits. Let us be compassionate to one another as we build each other up for the glory of God. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.